So what about instead of Dune, it was uh, it was Poon, and it's about uh, Paul, and he really just needs some pussy. He's just like, please, I want to have sex, please. And his mom, and his mom is like, you ha- use the voice, and he's like, I don't want to. I just just let me have sex. Use the voice, Paul. Give me some pussy, and then like she's like on him before he can even she even realize what happened. It's very. Why do you have to make it incestuous? Well, I guess it doesn't have to be his mom. There could be like a girl there. I'm just saying <laughs> she would make make him use the voice to get sex, and then you know it's a very phallic. I mean, you have like there's a box of pain, and you know there's a there's a sandworm, and that's very phallic, and the desert is very dry. It's a very incel movie, you know. It's dry. <laughs> And, he and, does the virgin walk. Yeah, there's it's, it's a dry. It's a movie with contrast. It's is dry desert, but also very you know strong emotion and 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 desire and sex and yeah. I, so I literally like in the middle of the movie, I saw him do that walk, and I'm like, people were not kidding. That is literally the virgin walk. Virgin he, walk. Uh, so yeah, that's doing in theaters now and full of pussy. Well, everyone, uh, welcome back to the number one podcast in Rhodesia. I'm proud to be a part of that legacy. It's really... I can't believe we've done it. Just congratulations. Yep. Next up, Yugoslavia. Yep. Uh, welcome back, everybody. It's me, Peyton, and uh, Austin is busy this week. He's working, so uh, we have returning special guest. Uh, you know her and you love her. From famous twitter.com user and youtube poster we have adequate emily emily you You thought you could get rid of me people you thought you could get rid of me but i'm back welcome back to the show last time we had you on it was um back in june i believe right Uh, it was the i I forget if it was june or july but i remember the movie it It was was it was june because it was the start of pride month oh yeah you're right Uh, and then we did that gimmick that we we kicked all the cis people off the podcast for pride months absolutely uh and so yeah welcome back uh how have you been you've been good fill our audience in i've been good i've been trying to keep myself busy uh i've been creating more youtube videos i just released one that i'm super proud of called head the monkeys and fabrication it's my favorite video i've ever done i'm super proud of it uh earlier this year i also released one called the one inch barrier uh comma why you should be watching foreign language films and i'm just working on a lot of stuff right now because it turned out everyone decided to release their movie this week so i'm i'm basically going to be working on four videos at once in the next few weeks really- so when i said i wanted to keep myself busy this was a little bit more than i thought i wa- i was gonna do you uh you've been v- releasing video essays with very phallic titles i'll give you that one inch barrier head, head dune coming up well i do mention it in the video but i love the fact that the movie is just called head so that 
when they got a sequel, which they didn't get, they could just put on the poster from the people who gave you head. Yes. I will say uh, I encourage you all to go watch that video. It's a very interesting look into kind of a formative work. Uh, unlikely, but very formative work of the kind of new American uh, independent film movement of the late 60s, 70s, um, and the, how the monkeys are all tied into it. Uh, so I would recommend it. It's a very good video. Uh, and check out everything else on Emily's channel. Um, Thank you. Very interesting. So uh, glad to have you back, Emily. Thank you. Uh, I, I like how since I've been on, I've just been on a roll of appearing on podcasts. Right. You've I've been, been a- on here. I was on Easy Allies' reaction shots, and I've been on Jams and Tea podcast a great music review podcast that deserves hey way more credits don't you're not allowed to plug other shows on this show i'm sorry this is this is the best one though this is the only good one uh all of them are terrible and uh peyton is the best and there's no gun to my head right now at all we we really made you we we showed the the populace how uh, much of a hot (laughs) commodity having you on as a guest is and they've all been clamoring for you since i i just remember when you asked me to come on and i at first i was like i don't know i might be busy and you sent me a note that said uh we made you we can uh take it all away from you yes and i i really strongly uh changed my mind on that one much like much like uh much like jeffrey epstein i have a black a little black book and it's got a lot of damning and <laughs> damning one information black book and all it just has is my name for 30 pages that is that's true <laughs> um but yeah so we're, we're we're glad to have this poll to have you uh have you back on the podcast um, oh, this is i i if i can cut the bit for one second this is genuinely like of the podcast i listen to this is one of the ones i return to every single time it's this one rooster teeth face jam uh QAnon Anonymous, like there, there's a few of them, and this is always one of them. I love listening to it, and I'm always happy to be on. Uh, we're honored, uh, but and we're glad that you returned to us. That's why we try to we strive to have such uh, topical and important information on this podcast as we do, because we know some people it's it's all it's the only podcast they listen to. We want to make sure that they're well informed. Absolutely. Um. So, uh. It is the last, this is going to be the last episode, of course, uh, given that Sunday, because coming Sunday, is Halloween. This is the last episode of uh, the spookiest month. Um, I I talked to Austin last week about how I was lamenting how, uh, due to having to take that week off and and then doing that Star Wars episode, which was fun, but uh, we we didn't do as much horror-focused as, in hindsight, I would have liked to make this month. Uh, we're making up again. Again, we did that last week with the horror themed, and we're making up for it again this week as well. Um, but uh, you know, it's not like we don't cover horror movies on this show uh, all year round. Um, but uh, before we move on to today's topic, um, Emily, do you have any favorite horror movies, or uh, do you have any horror movie topics or or things you want to just riff about for a moment here? I, hmm. I think it's, I think uh, one thing I would talk about when it comes to horror movies is like how, I, I, I'm not sure if this is a very funny topic, but I think it's an interesting one, is like 
how like people will just change their mind 10 years after a horror movie and be like oh never mind that was genius mm-hmm. and like the recent example is jennifer's body but that's been happening for a while with like the shining got bad reviews when it came out yeah well i mean i mean a lot of i mean that's that's kind of how films go if anything's uh if anything's a bit subversive it usually does take a little bit for it to to catch on and get praise um at least you know not always but a lot that is the case for for a lot of uh films we now consider to be um you know very influential and very uh you know interesting movies and i also think it's interesting how like i think this is because of marvel and stuff like this where people are now starting to look at horror as like a production brand which i strongly disagree with like i i see so many times someone being like from the minds of blumhouse productions and i'm like they didn't write any of these movies they just said yeah that's a good script like i and i see people talk about a24 horror i'm like none of these people are making this stuff it's the director it's so weird to me that people view it in that way now yeah especially since like it's especially funny to me considering how like if you asked a horror fan like six years ago or so about blumhouse you'd get a very negative opinion right and they've really just changed it around because they stopped they basically stopped their practice of preying on inexperienced filmmakers and forcing them into bad conditions which i'm glad they're stopped doing that's true. but it was weird that they were doing it in the first place yeah uh no that's 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 a fair point um on this topic of horror movies real quick i just wanted to give the audience if you're in if you're in search of a you know i'm i'm this is kind of like less than mainstream you know if you're a horror fan you'll probably know these but for the for for people who aren't in the know these are some these are peyton's top picks for uh weird crazy uh horror movies that are not the ones you always hear recommended uh so i'll just go down this list here real quick uh basket case uh it's about a guy who has a uh formerly conjoined twin brother who's now like a little fleshy uh puppet basketball looking guy inside a hamper that he carries around uh and that's really fun night of the creeps is a great horror comedy uh it plays on tropes of like the 50s horror movies um as well as like zombie movies uh there's a great scene scene where uh a flamethrower is wielded on a house of zombified uh, fraternity uh, members. Uh, let's see what else. Society, of course, many of you might know about Society. It's a fantastic that talking ass. Yeah, there's a fantastic body horror with 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 just an insane ending. There's a guy's head coming out of his ass, and uh, and just fleshy body parts everywhere. It's it's a real romp uh let's see what else what else is good um uh peter jackson's uh bad taste and as well as peter jackson's uh brain dead both uh incredibly ridiculous over the top uh the first brain uh bad taste being more of a sci-fi horror brain dead being more of a straightforward horror uh they both are just ridiculous and i can't believe that's the man who went on to make uh lord of the rings but uh, his skill is definitely on show there because they are just wacky, uh, goofy. He followed that one up with uh, the Frighteners too, right? Yeah, he his his first several were all uh, 
very kind of genre-seeped fun movies. It's really funny looking at his letterbox page. It's just like, Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, 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 King Kong, The Lovely Bones, and then just like a bunch of weird horror movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, This might be more of a Thanksgiving horror film, but there's a great kind of... uh, It was made as kind of like a... uh, by a Christian production company as kind of like a scare film against like using drugs and deviant behavior, but it's a great like bad B movie horror movie uh, called blood freak from the 1970s. And basically a guy eats uh, radioactive Turkey and his head turns into like a giant chicken head and he goes around eating people. Uh, it's very, very ridiculous and very entertaining. Uh, but you might want to save that one given the Turkey subject matter for Thanksgiving um and let's see uh we've talked about it again we've talked about some other great horror movies on this show in the past uh deathbed chud halloween 3 all great uh for this time of year um and i'll finish it up here with um lucio fulci's the beyond uh the plot is 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 very threadbare it's basically just a structure for Fulci to put as much uh, heads exploding and being crushed and uh, zombies eating people and ripping their apart. Great, ridiculous, over-the-top effects and moments. Uh, ridiculous plot. A guy goes around shooting zombies with, uh, with a revolver in the head and makes their head explode. Uh, so it's a fun romp. Uh, by Mr. Fulci, uh, who was great at some ridiculous over-the-top Italian gore. So check out those horror movies. Uh, maybe you'll enjoy them and have and, and appreciate how goofy and over-the-top they are. Uh, so, yeah, but without further ado, Emily, uh, are you ready to talk about our movie of the night? I absolutely am. All right, well, we'll be back to do that in just a moment. Anything can happen on Halloween. Your dog could turn into a cat. There may be a toad in your bass guitar, or your sister could turn into a bat. Christmas time brings the snow. Summertime brings the sun. But on Halloween, your blood begins to run. Something spooky is going down. Better than a video Gremlin's gonna mess up Every cassette from London to Idaho April 1st can be fun New Year's Eve is a bore But on Halloween Your flesh begins to grow Oh, I'm losing control All right, well, again, for our last film of October, I wanted to do another fun horror movie. Uh, And so, as I've told you, Emily, uh, tonight's film is 1988's Waxwork. Now, uh, I'm assuming you haven't looked anything up about this film, uh, or not much. uh, The only thing I've seen is the director, which is uh, Anthony Hickox, which all I can think about with that name is how it's a mix of the two guys from Smosh's name. That is, that's, that's a fair, that's a good, good, good catch. I believe there's no relation to either of the Smosh guys. 
uh, nor nor is this a uh, sketch comedy film. <laughs> Speaking of Smosh, have you seen they they made a movie where there's a ghost and it's like a remake. I'm familiar, sad. Isn't it, isn't it isn't it like a famous person as the ghost? T Pain, T Pain, T Pain. I was gonna say Buster Rhymes, but I it's T Pain. Okay. <laughs> no, that's that's H twenty. That's uh. It's H20, isn't it? Yeah, uh, no, that's the sequel, not H2O or, or Halloween 20 or whatever. That's the sequel to that Halloween Resurrection. <laughs> that has Buster Rhymes who Does fights. Does he like kick Michael Myers or something? He in fights that one? Michael Myers and like hits him with like a like a like a uh, what do you call that thing? The fire poker, like from a fireplace <laughs> set. Yeah, he, he like beats. He fights Michael Myers. It's very Ooh, interesting. Ha, he has him right in check. Um, anyway, though, uh, yeah, so you don't know anything about this film, really. Uh, what questions you have or what, uh, what, what assumptions or guesses you have about what this film will be about or how it'll go? One question I'm curious about is, will this film be in any way similar to the more famous Wax horror film, House of Wax? Uh, I'd say somewhat in that it follows the general idea as, you know, going back to like silent film arrow actually i've seen one of the one of the first color movies using this strange two-tone process uh before actual technicolor as we know it came to be um one of the first movies to use this kind of experimental process uh was a film called i think mystery of the wax museum i watched it once it's from the 30s i believe um, it's it's pre-code, it's pre-haze code, so I think the 30s. Um, but yeah, There's something it, about that topic that keeps bringing people going to it. Right. It's it's in that tradition, you know, of that, and then that kind of led to you know the original House of Wax and other films of that ilk, and all the way to the remake with Paris Hilton. But yeah, it follows. I was in that, trying to wonder who was in the remake. It's Paris Hilton. It's Paris Hilton. Um, it follows in that tradition of it being like, oh, people are lured into a wax you know museum and it is and they are and it is a front to you know murder them and use them in the display uh so yes it is somewhat similar in that but it th- i'll say this is this one goes much far beyond that in a very uh outlandish way and i guess my second question would be does it have anything to do with the topic of cock and ball torture from wikipedia the free encyclopedia uh uh i mean there's a I could see there being a a a, tan, a tangential rela- re- connection to cock I'm and ball be torture. Honest. I read Waxwork, and all I could think in my brain was that video of that like of the 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 audio guide for the cock and ball torture Wikipedia page, where it just stops and goes, such as wax play. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually, you know what, uh. I'll say you could make a tangential connection to cock and ball torture <laughs> from Waxworks because there is a scene of what I would describe as BDSM activity. And from there, you could connect that to cock and ball torture. I know I was the person that brought that up as a joke. I want to stop thinking about cock and ball torture as okay. soon as possible. <laughs> sure. Uh, that's fine. Okay, so moving on. Um any other uh, assumptions about what this might be your questions because i i can give you more information about the film or you can take some more guesses whatever you'd like i guess the only other question i would have would be was this a like was this a big release like was this like a studio project or was this like uh 
a small budget studio like a canon or a trauma type situation obviously not specifically those but like one of those right that produced like a really small budget version like was this something that your average moviegoer would have seen or is this something that would have been only playing in like second run theaters and midnight uh midnight screenings uh yes it, it was my it was a small film uh it was really uh produced and released by uh vestron pictures um which was a smaller uh film distributor in the 80s and 90s uh they put out some other horror films like slaughter high um, and some more into the 80s and 90s, later 80s and 90s. It up. This is a weird... I looked up Vestron Pictures, and they have the four biggest films they produce here, right? Right. Uh, the first one is Dirty Dancing. Yes, they did do Dirty Dancing. The second one is Little Monsters, I was gonna say the they, one with they, little, Howie Mandel. <laughs> little Monsters starring Howie Mandel and Fred Savage. And then Waxwork. And, okay, so that's and an Wax. interesting big three. Um, and they also had, I think, I, I think it was like a sub imprint, yeah, genre film division called Lightning Pictures, which actually released last week's topic, uh, Street Trash, as <laughs> well as the films Blood Diner, the uh, sequel to Chud, Chud Two, Bud the Chud, uh, as well as uh, the third Ghoulies movie, Ghoulies Three, uh, what is it, Ghoulies Three, Ghoulies Go to College. Oh my, the best Ghoulies movie. Um, so yes, uh, that's, so yeah, it released by Vestron Pictures in limited theatrical release. And then it mainly, it was a mainly a straight to VHS, uh, film where it actually did quite well. According to Wikipedia, 3.5 million, which, that's uh, it. for a smaller yeah. film like this, I think that's fair. During good. the, that had to be during the booming VHS boom. Yeah. This was late, late, late eighties, uh, 88. Um, the, so. the, the canon, uh, sort of era of like going straight making great stuff on the uh making great money on the home market yes um i'm also seeing that Vestron also did international distribution of the princess bride yeah i, I did see that um so they i guess they did some international distribution on bigger films as well uh all right so more information about waxworks i'll say that yes the director is anthony hecox who uh this was actually his first um first uh film uh directed feature film uh according to i believe it was um i saw it on imdb on the trivia section apparently he got it made because he was in la and he got in an accident and the guy he got in an accident with a car accident uh traffic collision with was like a studio head and through that he got his script for waxworks read and greenlit um so uh it was his first feature film he would go on uh, he, he directed, there was a sequel to this called Waxworks 2, Last in Time. Uh, he would also direct the third Hellraiser movie, uh, the sequel to the, is, yeah, the sequel to the war, the film Warlock, Warlock the Armageddon. Uh, he did the live action, uh, adaptation of, of the Prince Valiant, uh, comic strip, uh, Prince Valiant in 97. And then he's kind of made some fairly uh, unimpressive kind of action and thriller type films through the 2000s to now. He released something in 2019, so still fairly active, seemingly. Mm. Uh, in terms of cast, we've got in the main role, uh, Zach Galligan, who many people will know for playing uh, Billy Peltzer in both Gremlins and Gremlins 2 The New Batch. 
so not a strange face to the horror comedy uh you know genre we've got um some other bit part players like uh deborah foreman who played in some other horror movies as well like april fool's day uh and then i'd say the other uh, another big name in this is uh dana ashbrook who people like me will know as playing uh bobby from twin peaks uh as well as firewalk with me and the return of twin peaks so he stands out as a this was pre-twin peaks or at least right before it because i think twin peaks started in 90 or 89 so this would have been or 90 actually sorry so uh yeah this was pre-twin peaks dana ashbrook uh we've got david warner in i think this might have been his last um role uh before he retired and um david warner is um he's a british actor uh, fairly well-renowned, and he actually won a BAFTA at one point for a film called uh, Morgan, A Suitable Case for Treatment, which I'm not familiar with at all. But uh, Neither am I. He was in, he's been in some other horror stuff, too, like The, the Omen. Uh, he, was in Time ba- he was in Time Bandits. Um, he was in Tron. Uh, so, I mean, fairly prolific career. Uh, mm-hmm. He was in Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. Is that the one with the vanilla ice wrap in it? Yes, it is. <laughs> and uh, go so, white yeah. boy, go white boy, go. That's the that's kind of the cast of Waxworks. Actually, Waxwork. I keep saying plural. It's just Waxworks, singular. Waxworks is the sequel uh, directed by James Cameron. Yes. Um, the the only other trivia I have about this are kind of tied into the plot of the film so um i'll wait and hold off on those until they're relevant when we're talking about the goings-on of the film when i'm talking about the plot uh before i get into the plot uh do you have any more guesses or shots you'd like to take out what might happen in the course of this movie uh obviously there's a wax museum involved yes uh my Yes, and it seems like it might. This either could be a super safe guess or super wrong, because there's really only two ways a movie like this, like, would approach the subject matter. Would be, I would say that there is a certain body horror element of wax being involved, with like the characters either turning into wax or being melted by wax, not just haunted down by wax figures. You know what, I'll tell you, surprisingly enough, really not that much body horror. There's like one or two scenes of some gory stuff, but for the most part, not a lot. That's the thing. Usually with these kind of movies that, as you mentioned, this is a common, this is a a trope that has existed. And uh, usually that is usually the divide is where they go with the body horror aspect or where they go with the idea of just being hunted down by wax figures. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, so yeah, actually fairly light on the, the gore and, and body horror in this movie. Which is kind of surprising because that was a huge boon for... There was a huge boon for body horror right. on the VHS market in the 80s. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was actually quite surprised at how, in very many respects, this movie's quite tame. In, in, in its ideas and plot, it goes kind of crazy, but uh, effects-wise and, and what we see, it's, it, it's fairly restrained. And I don't know, that might be due to budget more than anything, um, it being mm-hmm. a lesser budget movie. 
so yeah, that's uh, that's just a quick overview on some of the behind the scenes stuff of Waxworks. Uh, are you ready to find out what happens in this film, Emily? I am absolutely ready for this. All right. So we open, and sign of a good opening, self-admitted, at least in my opinion. Uh, I don't know why exactly. I think maybe because it takes place, this scene later will be put in context, and we'll learn that it took place in the past at some point. Uh, so maybe that's why they did this. But uh, it opens with a nice uh, the, the intro to uh, Benny Goodman's classic uh, jazz dance hall hit, Sing, Sing, Sing. Uh, so yeah, we get, you know, the, 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 the good, the drum fill and the dun, 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 uh, and, uh, we go into a fancy looking mansion where we find a man in the midst of a struggle for his life. He is being forced by an unseen gloved hand, uh, towards the fireplace, uh, and he's trying to push back and and stop as uh, you know if the if this attacker succeeds his his head and torso will be thrust into the the burning fireplace in his home it seems uh, but he's not able to hold out and he gives way he he his head goes into the fire uh, and he emerges from the fire his head on fire uh, you know fully just head on fire uh while at the same time it seems his assailant has moved on and is smashing glass cases and seeming to steal uh jewelry and other uh you know valuable artifacts from this man's home as his head burns on fire uh and that's that scene we we move on without context to seemingly at some point uh now jumping forward in time that same house and we see a mother and son at the breakfast table, much like the famous scene in Dune, where the mother and son are at the breakfast table. This and is no other movies. Cinematic, no other movies. cinematic parallels is what no they other call movies it. have that scene too. It's really no, interesting. It's, it's, it's a it, these two movies. It's a cinematic parallel. I, I read an interview. Denis Villeneuve said that my scene with the mother and Paul at the breakfast table. It's inspired by the 1988 film Waxwork. He said, uh, it, it, Dune might be, I, I did Dune as, as an opportunity to maybe make my own version of Waxwork. Yes, this, uh, film Dune is a merge to, uh, Waxwork. Uh, you see it in the table scene. I, I'm assuming that's because he's French-Canadian. Uh, that's how he sounds. Oui, oui, I've never heard him talk, I don't think. 
Uh, so, uh, there. What they're... if he just didn't talk, sound French? Like, what if he just sounded like a Southern American for well, no reason? I, that was, I mean, you know, there are plenty of Canadian people who don't sound French who live in Quebec, but, uh, I, I've assumed he was one considering he seems to speak French. Yeah. He, uh, he, he is Francophone. Yes. And he, and he, and he has films in French. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So we, mother and son at the breakfast table, we got the classic all time great bit of uh, two people sitting at either end of a very long table. Uh, this one, even in fact, there are like uh, big uh, place uh, centerpieces along the middle flowers in vases. Uh, so they, they have to lean around those to talk to one another. And uh, the mother is like, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, we learn his name. I think it's um, Nick or something. I think, well, oh, Mark, Mark, that's what it is. She's like, Mark, I, I, I heard that you were, you shared a drink, and he's like college age, so this is, uh, you know, college age, young adult guy. I heard you were drinking with the butler the other night, and he's like, yeah, I was having a drink with Jenkins, you know, why not? And he, she, and the mom's like, well, we don't associate, you know, we shouldn't associate with the lowers, you know, we have to keep a separation. It's, it's, you know, us, us and them, we have to distinct, distinct ourselves, you know, make a distinction. And Mark is basically like, I don't really get, I don't really get why that's stupid. Um, so, you know, Mark seems pretty, pretty woke on the whole class issue. Uh, yeah, Mark, 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 Mark is a woke king. Uh, <laughs> Mark, Mark is, uh, Mark is, uh, what we call, uh, he, 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 uh, Instead of eating breakfast, he was eating the rich. Let's right. say, right? Mar- Mar- much in the style of uh, of famous uh, philosopher and thinker Frederick Engels, Marx, despite uh, Mark, despite being rich, he was very in tune and and a, and a man of the of the of the proletarian struggle. Mark, more like Marx. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, and you think, he, but he's actually more like Engels because Engels was rich, you know. Uh, so, uh, then they also get into a strange argument that's never brought up again. It, it seems very weird. I don't know why it's in there, but the mom is like, uh, Mark is like, mom, when are you going to let me drink coffee? And this, again, this is like a 23 year old man saying this to his mother. Uh, and, and the mom is like, uh, oh, you, when you're older, dear, you know, it, it's, it's terrible for your, uh, for your growth and your digestion. And he's like, but mom, and he says it really, the, his delivery on this is great. He goes, I need my caffeine. <laughs> uh, and so uh, he, he's, he's upset, but uh, it seems as he leaves for school, his butler and apparently drinking buddy Jenkins is already at the door with, uh, with a cup of coffee for Mark, uh, apparently behind the mother's back. So uh, it seems uh, being, a, being a man of, of, this, of the people has its perks. Uh, we cut to, uh, two girls, also college Mark's age, and they're talking about boys, and, uh, one of them, China, is actually talking about how, uh, she's kind of over Mark and doesn't want to, uh, be with Mark anymore, and she, she much prefers the, this jock, uh, type guy, uh, because of his body, etc. As they're talking, they come along a, another kind of fancy-looking brick mansion, um, and they see on the outside over the door, it says waxwork. And, and they, they, they remark how, oh, this is a strange location for a waxwork. It's kind of, you know, in a, in a neighborhood rather than a, you know, busy area where you'd think they'd put this. Uh, and out of the blue, all of a sudden, the owner's standing there. And he's this older gentleman 
well-dressed with a British accent. And he's like, well, it's where I put it. And why don't you come tonight and, and bring no more than six friends. It's a private showing. Uh, we're not open yet, but we're, I'm having a private showing tonight. And, he, and he's it's a like, private showing, but I want you to come, uh, random stranger I just met. Right, and he's very specific that he, they, can bring no more, they can bring guests, but no more than six uh, total. Um, and, and China, this girl who seems to be over Mark and possibly even over this jock, she, she actually, I, I don't know, maybe I was, maybe I was interpreting it, but she seems a little, uh, seems a little into this, this, this older British man running the waxwork. She seems to have a little bit of a, a horn in her eye for him. And, and we'll come back to this. This movie is surprisingly horny. It's, 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 you don't think it's going to be, but, uh, we'll get to it later. You couldn't fall for a British accent, you know? He's like, oi, come to my wax museum, in it. Uh, this movie ends up being surprisingly erotic, so we'll, we'll come to that in a bit. Um, Cricket. so, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, they all, Mark arrives for class, and his professor, who is giving a very impassioned speech about the Nazis invading um, Lithuania, I believe is what he was talking about. Uh, Mark enters. It'd be a horror movie in the eighties without an allusion to Nazis. Yeah, so Mark enters, and uh, you know the professor's angry at him being late, and assigns him a big paper to write uh, because he's late. Uh, Mark sits next to the two girls and his other friend, and uh, apparently Mark seems quite jealous that China has gone out with this jock. Uh, meanwhile, when they're sitting at the the outside on the bleachers watching the football practice, uh, China talking to the jock, uh, they he he again seems quite jealous. But uh, ultimately, these six friends, Mark, his uh, friend played by uh, Dana Ashbrook. Uh, from Twin Peaks, so I just called that character Bobby from Twin Peaks, uh, and the two girls, and then another couple. The six of them decide that they'll all go to this private showing at the Waxwork that evening. Um, uh, and uh, Mark, uh, later that night before they leave for the Waxwork, has a moment with China in the hallway, where again he, he seems to want her back. He says, uh, you know, he'll be he'll be a better boyfriend. Um, and, uh, China mentions, uh, how she doesn't want him and, um, you know, something about suffering comes up and I know Mark says the line cause I wrote it down. Suffer. We're living in America. And then China's like, Mark, you don't understand anything. So like, again, the class struggle brought up once again, I don't know. I, I, I don't understand what that line was supposed to imply. Uh, it seems very odd, but, uh, I'm going to choose to believe that, uh, waxwork is secretly, uh, prop- anti-american propaganda yes uh that's what i'm going to choose to believe it as uh death of the author so that's what i'm choosing to take from it uh anyway they arrive to the waxwork house museum house uh and uh it seems quite spooky uh so much so that uh the one couple that that came with the group uh decides to split and not stay um so now there's only four of them. Mark, his friend Bobby from Twin Peaks, uh, and the two girls. I apologize uh, about the dog barking. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, so Mark, Bobby from Twin Peaks, and China, and the other girl, Sarah. Uh, now just the four of them. Mark goes to knock on the front door, but it, but it seems to open by itself until they look down. And there's a tiny little dwarf guy uh, who opened the door for them. Uh, and he's this tiny little guy, and he's got a high-pitched voice, and he invites them inside. Uh, and they all sit down in the foyer, 
foyer, if you will. Uh, then he asks if they want something to drink, uh, but before they can answer, a very tall butler, uh, in fact, you know, like abnormally tall, uh, guy comes out with drinks and then him and the tiny the small little butler get in an argument where they're like i told you to wait until they at, they say they want drinks and it's very funny a goofy moment it is a tiny butler and a big butler uh and anyway uh, the butlers leave the room and the door to the exhibit hall of the waxwork opens and spooky and yet they enter and they uh look upon different scenes all of which seem to be particularly morbid uh like a guy getting axe murdered there seems to be a frankenstein's monster carrying a lady uh there's some uh offensive uh witch doctor-esque tribal characters uh there's like some sort of weird medieval looking monster guy and there's like a sideshow monster attacking a guy from his cage and a mummy so, you know, all your classic horror kind of style trope and characters, all your favorites. Anyway, uh, they all kind of, you know, meander and wander off looking at exhibits. Bobby from Twin Peaks uh, starts to light a cigarette, and but he drops his lighter and it lands into an exhibit, which he steps in. He steps across the velvet uh, rope to into the exhibit so he can grab his lighter that he dropped but as soon as he kind of crosses the threshold of the scene he is suddenly transported and he's in and he's in woods uh, a wooded forest and he's in different clothes and uh, he, he's quite confused and at first he thinks um, someone must have spiked his drink with acid only for him to realize oh wait I stopped drinking uh, so then he believes he must be hypnotized uh, and so he makes his way to a cabin with a light on uh, nearby uh, in these woods. Uh, he enters the cabin and surprise cameo from uh, Hollywood uh, character actor as seen in films like uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, The Last Crusade, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, and the Lord of the Rings trilogy, as mentioned earlier. Uh, we have John Rice Davies. Uh, who obviously played Sala in Lord of the, in the Indiana Jones series and Gimli in Lord of the Rings. Uh, John Rice Davies is inside the cabin that Bobby from Twin Peaks walks into, uh, and John Rice Davies does not seem happy that someone has entered the cabin. He's telling Bobby, "You got to run. You got to get out of here before it's too late. It's almost time, and it's going to be too late." And before uh, Bobby can leave, he um, stays, and John Rice Davies. Uh, by the power of the full moon begins transforming into a werewolf uh, and uh, he attacks Bobby uh, from Twin Peaks uh, and is Bobby's bitten and is attacked by the werewolf but before he can be totally eaten a uh, hunter and his assistant of sorts uh, burst into the cabin and as the hunter begins uh, loading silver bullets he tells his like assistant guy you know distract the werewolf and so the assistant tries to, you know, take a chair and attack the werewolf to distract him. But uh, the werewolf uh, tosses that away. And in a, one of the good moments, few but good moments of uh, gore, the werewolf grabs this uh, assistant guy's head. And you think it's just going to be like a crush his head type thing. But not only does he start like kind of crush his head, he also then like rips the guy's entire body in half uh as in a fun moment so like bone tomahawk style yeah uh yeah you do a full rip in half so that's fun um 
and uh, but the hunter is able to uh, load and shoot the silver bullet before he's attacked and the werewolf uh, drops to the floor but uh, it seems too late for Bobby from Twin Peaks as he's already transforming himself now bitten into a werewolf and so the hunter loads another silver bullet and shoots him as well um, back in the museum we see in the display Bobby now has become part of the display himself uh, seemingly turned into uh, a wax figure uh, China, one of the gr the girl is uh, walking around in the in the museum. At the same time, she comes across a vampire scene, although I don't know if she realizes it. I think she just notices the how attractive and hot the 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 smoldering uh, kind of Fabio esque uh, vampire is in the scene, leading her to step across the threshold herself into the exhibit. And of course, she is suddenly transported, uh, you know, to a regal dinner back in time at a candlelit, uh, you know, castle where she joins this dinner, uh, seemingly hosted by this vampire, as well as his uh, his family, a bunch of daughters and a son, uh, where she is served a bowl of what seems to be raw meat, as well as, uh, you know, blood on top of it, as he says, uh, the sauce makes the dish. Although I don't know if she realizes that what she's eating is uh, human. Uh, anyway, she eats the dinner and then is shown to her room. Um, but uh, before anything she can get settled, the son bursts into the room and tries to bite and drink the blood of China. Uh, so she's able to escape uh, out of the room and runs and hides only to discover the room she has run into is her fiancé, you know, her being this character now inhabiting this wax exhibit. Her fiancé uh, character um, is being kept alive in this room, despite the fact that his leg, uh, basically his entire leg between his, his thigh and his foot has been carved in the meat and muscle, uh, removed uh he's being kept alive and he he tells her you have to get out of here and run the only way they can you have to kill them to uh to survive and you know obviously the classic only way you can do that is either with a, a cross a stake to the heart or decapitation um and he tells her this just in time as the um sun vampire bursts back into the room and attacks uh china uh, she thankfully is able to take two knives off a nearby table and makes a cross out of them, which she presses to the sun vampire's forehead, causing his head to explode. Um, and then as the daughter vampires come into the room, she turns a chair leg into a stake, stabbing them in the heart um, and causing them to drop. However, it is not enough as uh, she is hypnotized as she tries to escape by the main vampire guy, and he seduces her with his hypnotism and draws her in and drinks her blood. And we cut back, and now she as well has become a figure in one of the wax displays in the vampire display. So, back in the waxwork, uh, Mark and the other girl, Sarah, uh, Mark brings up uh, how he can't find the other two. Um, Sarah says, well, maybe they just uh, went home together. Uh, Mark says, I don't think so, and he goes and looks around. Um, but uh, he isn't able to find them, so Mark and Sarah leave. Um, and uh, as they're leaving, um, 
the um, jock arrives at a phone booth nearby, seeming to call for China to find out where she is. He's frustrated she's not home, and he finds out she went to this wax museum, so uh, he goes to look for her. The jock arrives at the wax museum and is greeted by the, the British owner guy, and uh, he sees the scene of the Phantom of the Opera and is uh, in turn pushed by the owner into the scene. Unfortunately, we don't get to see his exploits in the scene that lead to him being dead, but we suddenly just see his body uh, now turned into wax as part of the scene. Uh, meanwhile, we back with Mark and Sarah. Uh, they have a romantic scene almost outside Sarah's house. They almost kiss, but uh, then they decide not to. Um, back at Mark's house, uh, the maid he has writing his paper due for class for him uh, has wrote a very bad paper because she can't speak English very well. Um, the next day, Mark is concerned because China and Bobby from Twin Peaks have still not turned up. And he's concerned. Um, he also tries to go to the waxwork, but uh, no one is there when he knocks on the door. Um, so he uh, tries to tell um, the other two friends that they have uh, about the concern uh, and in turn goes to the police. And the police tell him that in the last two weeks, 13 people have gone missing mysteriously. And uh, Mark basically tells the police about the waxwork so he, and takes them there. When they arrive, uh, the owner is like, I don't know what he's talking about. We're not open yet. They must have broke in last night. And the cop seems to believe the owner and not Mark. Hey, Cap. Yep. Again, you have, uh, you have the cop, of course, siding with the small business owner against someone who is trying to help his friends who are lost. Uh, the, Again, Mark, more like Mark's. Yep. The cop goes and looks around the waxwork. Uh, and doesn't see anything. He, he stops for a minute and admires the mummy scene, talking about how he's always loved Egyptian history, and he just barely avoids being pushed into the scene by the owner. Um, however, later, though, at his office, the cop recognizes missing faces on the missing posters with faces of, the, of uh, figures from the waxwork, and so he now has a hunch that maybe there aren't figures and there are dead bodies covered in wax, so he goes back to the waxwork, specifically he goes into the vampire scene he's able to cross the threshold so it seems like maybe once a victim has been taken the the scene is no longer a a, a transport to the you know whatever so he steps in the the vampire scene specifically where china is and uh he gets a sample of her uh dna off of uh off of the figure of her however um before oh wait no that is that yet yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Okay, so, so then we cut. Mark uh, has taken Sarah up to his attic where he believes he might have a lead, which apparently the attic is where all of his grandfather's things were stored. And his grandpa was apparently obsessed with death and mortality. Uh, was that ever mentioned before this point in the film or does well, it just come out of where 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 you, you kind of tie it together and it's made even clearer in a bit. But that uh, the grandfather was the man that had killed in the opening scene, oh. whose head caught on fire. But anyway, we're told that all this like kind of macabre and 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 stuff of that ilk are kept upstairs, which leads Mark to maybe think that he might be able to find a lead up there for some reason. Anyway, as they're looking around, uh, Sarah finds a like a, a book about Mar uh, about uh, uh, Marquis de Sade. 
uh, and starts to open it and seems to get like really horny all of a sudden thinking about it, this book. Uh, but, uh, before she gets too horned up, um, Mark, uh, calls her over and shows him, shows her a, uh, a, uh, news clipping about how he was killed and explains how, you know, he was the guy, he got pushed into a fire and killed. And the suspect was a former servant who, uh, all of the items, uh, items the grandfather had collected, these special artifacts had been stolen. And the, the main suspect was a former servant and the picture of the servant is in the newspaper and who happens to look exactly like this servant from this old newspaper, but the waxwork owner. And so, uh, so that part's a little less than woke. <laughs> yes, I guess so. Uh, in this case, the servant was bad, I guess. Uh, and then uh, we cut back. The cop in the is has broken back into the wax museum uh, to investigate again. He he took the sample from China. Uh, however, before he leaves, he 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 wants to get a closer look, I guess, at the mummy scene. So he steps in the steps across the barrier into the exhibit, and of course, he's transported. He's suddenly in the tomb. Uh, and he's helping a professor open the mummy's grave. Um, in inside the inside this tomb or grave uh, is a is a corpse with a scroll in it, which apparently is uh, is is about the curse. Uh, they 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 say how the the mummy there the emperor the pharaoh's name is Raoul, which I don't think is a traditional uh, Egyptian I, name. This is our famous uh, Egyptian servant Josh. Yeah. Anyway, uh, another mummy in the tomb uh, hops out of its sarcophagus. It uh, goes over, and um, there's like a, a, a an Egyptian guide whose head gets completely stomped and crushed by the mummy. The professor tries to stab the mummy with a with a spear that was on the wall, uh, and which he does, but that doesn't affect the mummy whatsoever. And in turn, the the mummy just impales the uh, the the professor on his own spear. Uh, the cop is able to get a pistol and start shooting at the mummy, but it does nothing. Uh, he is backhanded by the mummy. The mummy backhands the cop and sends him flying. Uh, the mummy kills uh, the girl or the girl that's with them uh, in this mummy scene is thrown into the uh, you know tomb uh, coffin uh, along with then the cop and then the giant stone lid is pushed back on top sealing them inside that tomb forever meanwhile uh mark and sarah go to this guy apparently sir wilfred who's in a little motorized wheelchair uh who apparently it turns out even though we've never met him before in the movie we learn from mark that he's mark's godfather and apparently he's like a sir uh, he's, he's knighted apparently uh so uh and uh, he seems to want to know what the situation is. And so Mark and Sarah start to tell him uh, with the situation going on. Meanwhile, the cop's partner, who's been waiting outside in the car this whole time, goes in after the cop to try to find him since it's been so long. However, once he steps inside the waxwork, the tall, the big tall butler snaps his neck, which the owner is upset at because he's like, oh, we need more victims for the, the waxwork. And you just killed him and now he's useless. Uh, I, I just like the fact that like this film has been building up this idea of like, what if they found creative ways to kill them? And then just this one guy is like, eh, fuck it. And just snaps. Yeah, I don't know. Why. I guess they needed an excuse of why this that cop wasn't added to the, the waxwork. 
uh, people murdered. Uh, anyway, Mark. So Mark and Sarah finish explaining the situation to Sir uh, William, and Sir William's like, "Oh no, this is bad. I know what's happening." And he's like, "Your grandfather collected eighteen trinkets belonging to eighteen of the most evil men in history." And he's like, uh, and what's uh, 18 divided by 3? It's 666. It's the number of the devil. And uh, he's basically like, um, you know, his, the guy who killed your grandfather, Lincoln, the servant, he must be the man at the waxworks. And they're like, well, how does he look like he's not aged at all? And he's like, well, Lincoln must have sold his soul to the devil. And uh, when he and he killed your grandfather, and now uh, he he must serve the devil and upset the balance of good and evil. And how is he doing that? But he's apparently uh, using a voodoo magic act of making wax figures containing one of the evil objects belonging to each of these eighteen scary people. Uh, this, this just sounds like a screenwriter just scrambling, like just drunk at 3 a.m., just scrambling for any excuse he can find for the story to make sense. Uh, uh, yes. he, he made, he sold his soul to the devil, 18 divided by three, six, uh, then there's six, three sixes in there. That's why there's divided by three. Don't think about it. Yes. And, and there's voodoo magic, uh, by the way, kind of racist. And... <laughs> So, uh, yes, that's all correct. Uh, and apparently, uh, using that, uh, as well as the fact that the grandfather owned and then was stolen by this Lincoln guy who runs the waxwork, had, like, pieces of the of these evil people's, like, uh, places where they were from and lived or whatever, that basically makes each of the little dioramas its own kind of little moment in time, captured in time. And if a victim's is 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 pushed uh, you know put into one of these little moments in time and their soul is devoured and, and they are killed by these figures then it will make all of the figures uh basically live again and so uh if all 18 of these figures uh you know kill a victim uh it, they'll all be able to enter the real world and then it'll be all the world will be thrown into chaos um and so now they must be stopped, basically, because, you know, they, they realize that uh, that's why they wanted six guests to come. They need six. And so now they have uh, now they have uh, three already. And so it's it's almost too late. And so um, uh, Mark and uh, Sarah set off. They, they decide they have to um, burn down the uh the displays not the, just the whole building but specifically each display and destroy um the figures that have claimed lives uh so as they leave sir william seems concerned and he picks up a phone and he's like they finally found lincoln it's begun and we don't know what that's an allusion to but we'll find out later um so, uh, you know, they get to the wax museum. They decide they have to dis they have to burn down each display. However, before they can get started, Sarah walks up to a display of who but Marquis de Sade himself, and she seems enamored by it so much so, caught in a trance almost, that she enters the scene before Mark can stop her. And in the scene, uh, the Marquis de Sade is uh, is entertaining a, a prince of sorts. And he's like, well, uh, instead of going out and riding horses, I have a real treat, a real beast we can, we can, we can, uh, you know, abuse. Uh, and he brings in Sarah, and you know, she's basically 
uh, chained up and, and then, then proceeded to, to be whipped and flogged uh, erotically. Uh, meanwhile, Mark in the museum is pushed by the butler into a zombie scene with like uh, George Romero styled zombies in a graveyard, uh, which he has to escape. Uh, he even has a zombie grab onto his leg and he can't escape. So he has to bash and rip the, the zombie's hand off uh, or detach the hand off. And he runs away, even though the hand is still grabbing onto his foot. He's eventually able to throw the, the, the severed zombie hand away. Um, and as the zombies close in, he, he, he reaches the barrier, but he can't, he can't seem to go back through the barrier and escape the scene um, as the zombies close in. And he realizes that uh, he, he comes to the conclusion that, uh, oh, it's, it's not actually real. It's all, just a, it's all just a scene. So if I don't believe in it, then it'll, I'll be able to escape. And so he basically does that, and, he, and because he, he stops believing in it, he's able to escape the, the, the wax scene uh, and jumps out. And uh, the butlers try to attack him again, so he runs and jumps in and hides in the Marquis de Sade scene where he is in, now in the hallway outside where Sarah is being whipped. He beats up a guard and takes the guard's gun. Um, he, he goes into the room where uh, Sarah is still being whipped by Marquis de Sade. And honestly, she seems pretty into it. She, she is, she's, she's not like screaming. She's very clearly like uh, aroused and moaning. Uh, despite the fact that she seems, according to the Marquis de Sade, she's like on the brink of uh, exhaustion and death. But Mark jumps in and, and, and unshackles Sarah, but uh, she, she immediately runs and grabs onto the leg of Marquis de Sade, and she seems not to want to leave. She seems uh, enamored, and, and, and she doesn't want to go. But uh, Mark uh, basically is like, uh, makes her snap out of it, uh, and, and convinces her uh, that, you know, she's, she, she's just being hypnotized and brainwashed and that, uh, you know, she, she really does want to leave, uh, despite how erotic of a scene it seemed to be. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. And then, then, uh, Marquis de Sade's like, why don't I, I could just stab you right now or shoot you right now. But, uh, Marcus basically goes like Neo mode and he's like, you can't hurt me. I don't believe in you. You're not real. And he, the, the Marquis de Sade even tries to shoot him and it like, you know, doesn't hit Mark. And he's like, see, you're not real. You can't hurt me. So they escape that scene. Um, and as he, as they pull, as he pulls Sarah out of the scene, they're captured by the wax, uh, museum owner. Um, and as they do, uh, they the other couple, the two friends who had never been in the waxwork enter at that same time, uh, invited to the waxworks. They show up, uh, thinking they're going to meet Mark and Sarah, uh, as Mark and Sarah are, you know, basically gagged and held up by the owner. Their other two friends walk around the girl entering the Marquis de Sade scene and the boy into the zombie scene. And before they know it, uh, the, the, they, they are made into figures in the scene and it's too late. There's, there's been enough victims, um, and all the scenes are beginning to come to life. So yeah, now all the 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 evil monsters and stuff and all the scenes have come to life. Uh, but just as they do, and uh, and Mark and Sarah try to escape towards the exit, uh, as all these creatures come to life, at the exit bursts in Sir William and and a seemingly mob of uh, of of mainly older gentlemen. And I, he's like, uh, I guess there's some sort of secret society that were made to 
stop this if it ever happened and it's so all these old guys with like swords and sir william's uh like power scooter or whatever uh wheelchair he's he's like made so now like the front of it has like a like armor on it like a battering ram yeah yeah like he's 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 in like an armored motorized wheelchair now and he's like um it's too late they're all alive so now that means we have to we have to kill them all now kill the evil now so they can escape the building we it has we have to end it here and uh so all these guys are here even even uh mark's butler jenkins he's one of these guys in this group apparently and he's like good to see you sir and and they all have swords and they're like all right well i guess we got a battle and so like all these creatures have like exited their uh their you know displays as for mentioned um you know axe murder zombies dracula vampire wolfman etc um they all start battling and it's like it's not like a well choreographed or like well it's not like a well defined it's literally just all these like old guys basically like it's like a bar fight of just like old guys with like swords and 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 clubs and stuff just running in and like fighting all of these like classic like monster and like horror villains and it's like a huge it's like a lot of people too it's like it's like a scene with like it, you know this mob is at least like you know 30 or 40 people and then you have like 18 plus uh you know monsters and stuff so it's just like a shit ton of people fighting it's let's say lord of the rings battle and more closer to like a weird mosh pit full of old men yeah basically so uh you know i can't even really describe that many individual things because it's kind of just bodies like uh flailing against each other um uh some stuff that happens uh sarah uh stabs jack the ripper (laughs) uh china uh of course who was turned into a vampire she's one of the figures she's trying to like uh seduce mark and then tries to almost bite into mark with her with her vampire fangs but uh she is stabbed by the butler jenkins as he saves mark uh that's unfair hot girl vampires are the best that's fair uh but uh jenkins is stabbed by the tall butler and uh mark's like jenkins you know like what can i do how can i help you and he's like it's too late for me sir you have to stop them and so you know they go back to fighting uh there's like a demon baby all like rose like rosemary's baby-esque demon baby uh that is literally like imagining like the ally mcbeal baby it's literally thrown up into the air and then someone (laughs) someone one of the old guys with a shotgun shoots it and it explodes (laughs) like this little like baby puppet uh the um the vampire turns into a bat but uh one of the old guys literally catches the bat and then point blake shoots it with a revolver i'm imagining like with all this shooting is that scene in uh Darth- garth Marenghi where he like where the gun comes to life and he shoots it with his other gun yeah it's it's very much uh just ridiculous shooting monsters with guns uh all the somehow the in this process of this giant brawl the building catches on fire and you know now there's like fire spreading and and and, and uh you know beams collapsing and the building beginning to crumble uh mark seems to be uh cornered uh by um uh marquis de sad and uh he kind of runs away is able to get away and run into the like wax sculpting room with the big hot vat of wax uh where once they're inside there um him and marquis de sad have like a sword fight and uh mark is able and able to stab marquis de sad but um uh 
Marquita Sud is still able to get the best of Mark and has the throat, the sword pointed at Mark's throat. Um, and Mark seems to be about to be stabbed, but at the last moment, he's saved by Sarah, who puts an axe into the back of, uh, of Marquita Sod, and she says something clever. I can't recall. I'm sure she did. She says something. Uh, but uh, Mark and Sarah, standing there in the wax room, are suddenly uh, held at gunpoint by Lincoln, the owner, up on, the, up on a like, walkway above the, the vats of wax. He, he has them at gunpoint. Uh, and they seem to be about to be shot. However, uh, at the last moment, Sir William in his uh, armored wheelchair rolls in, and he sh- and he um, he what does he do? Yeah, he uh, he shoots uh, Lincoln, uh, causing him to fall into the vat of wax, um, but uh, and die. But not before then. Also, the werewolf comes into the room, and Sir Link- Sir William's like, "Go, quick, get out, save yourself!" And the werewolf comes in and rips his head off. <laughs> this poor man in a wheelchair, old man in a wheelchair, has his head ripped off by a werewolf. The fire's now like you know spreading, and it's like imminent that the building's gonna burn down. Mark and Sarah are able to escape in the nick of time out of the building. Uh, it seems they're the only ones, so I guess all these old guys all died in this building, along with all the monsters. Uh, and the the building seems to burn down as Mark and Sarah uh, wa- walk off into the distance of the night. But from the fiery rubble of the waxwork, what appears but the severed zombie hand from earlier that Mark chopped off, still alive, emerges crawling out from 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 the waxwork, and that cut to credits. So this was, I, 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 I'm going to say this, and I think it's interesting. I, I love how gonzo guacko the story is, but also it seems like it just should have just been a weird, like, anthology movie about people getting trapped in past times and getting killed in interesting ways. That is a fair point. I have much to talk about and what I thought of this movie, uh, and we will do so in just a moment. waxwork uh yes very strange as you said at one point it is very much like they just were like all right uh screw it we're gonna throw everything at the wall (laughs) and see what sticks apparently he had an idea and then he didn't know how to finish the idea right so he just was like trying to justify every step and then he'd forget how he justified it before so he invented a new reason right According to IMDb trivia, uh, director writer uh, Anthony what is it Anthony Hecox wrote wrote this film in three days. 
uh, which <laughs> does like does it. not surprise me. And given that it was the late '80s, I'm also thinking a little bit of maybe, you know, what I'm yeah. talking about uh, a little bit of Stephen King uh, blackout writing <laughs> Cujo situation. Uh, yeah, they they very much. It's very much just like uh, fuck it. Yeah. Uh, no, they just were like it was almost like improvised. Like they were just like yes ending every step like of the how way. Like some of the most evil people alive, zombies. Yes, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to bring that. Yes, they say some of the most evil beings like are people from history. They they literally call it like most evil people from history. At some uh, yes, Marquis uh, de Sade, and it's like most the zombie ma- majority of them are like fictional characters, which like. <laughs> Okay, at one point the the when the jock is there and he's like, "Oh, Phantom of the Opera, wow, cool. That is that that's the real mask they use from the movie." And the the owner's like, "They made a movie out of the Phantom of the Opera." Uh, and and it's like, "Oh, it's so he was real and this guy's just really old. Like, what's the deal?" Uh, but still that's a dumb explanation cuz yeah, like again, these are supposed to be like evil beings from history and yet it's not like, you know, Hitler, Genghis Khan, etc. That it's, was the other thing you mentioned earlier. They bring up the Nazis, right? And then they have a premise about the most evil people, and they don't use any Nazis, right? I I, I have a list here of uh, of 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 evil, and as far as I can tell, Marquis de Sade <laughs> is literally the only one who's an actual like historical. Did you say figure. Jack the Ripper maybe was in? There, I guess Jack or? the Ripper counts too, kind of. You know, even though we don't know who it was. But here here we go. I'll yeah. tell you. They, there, here's a list that it's all written down. So. So Marquis de Sade, a werewolf, Count Dracula, a, a, a golem, like a, a Jewish golem, like a monster golem, uh, the Phantom of the Opera, Mummy, uh, Romero-style zombie, Frankenstein's monster, Jack the Ripper, the Invisible Man, you know, with the bandages, uh, a voodoo priest, a witch, a snake man, uh, Rosemary's baby, which that's the baby I mentioned, an axe murderer, an alien, a, that's not even a person, uh... <laughs> A giant talking Venus flytrap, a la uh, Audrey, Aubrey, or Audrey from uh, Little Shop of Horrors. I was going to say Little Shop. Yeah. And uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So, yeah, Jack the Ripper and Marquis de Sade are, like, the only two historically-based <laughs> figures. I And I also, like, okay, maybe I haven't brushed up on Marquis de Sade history in a bit. From what I remember, he wasn't, he's not, like... He's on the same level as Hitler and people like what? <laughs> right. I mean like he was definitely like not I mean, you know, he's definitely not a good person but like not as it, it, as bad as any other kind of like aristocracy I would say. Yeah, like I mean like, you I, know, he specifically I get why he's singled out cuz like, you know, oh, sadism is is from, you know, his name and uh, you know, he right. he kind of, you know, renowned for his uh his masochism and, and But you mentioned like Genghis Khan isn't here. I I mean, I'm not sure if I want to see Genghis Khan in an 80s movie because it probably would have been Yellowface. Probably. But <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I I yeah, I, there's I, so many more famous like right, people they, they infamous sh- for being evil and they're like what if there was a wolf man? Right, they could have done like a they could have done like a uh you know, a Bill and Ted type thing with, with famous characters from history type of a thing. But yeah, or no. if they want to just do evil characters not from history, just don't say it's from history. Say it's like alternate universes right. or like bringing stories to life. Yeah, or the, the greatest. There's a whole storytelling motif, and they're just like, no, these are real people. Wolfman was real. Yeah, they could have done like the whole, you know, the greatest fictional 
monsters and villains of all time. Uh, I do want to mention fun fact. Uh, I actually, my uh, w- through my college, when I studied abroad in France, the the little village I stayed in was was is is home of the like estate. Well, now it's like it's mostly and some of it's restored, but you know, like uh, not completely. But the 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 manor, the chateau of Marquis de Sade, once he was exiled from Paris. Uh, that so like basically the little village where I was staying was uh, like basically Marquis de Sade's uh, like personal little you his know, pleasure palace his little fiefdom and pleasure palace and and leading me to only I only imagining what horrific like you know vi- you know vile like rape crazy rich person libertine you know freak bullshit happened right. on the streets and 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 town you know homes and and hit the, the the villa uh of that village it's like you know the the basically the real life uh you know sallow type shit uh you know as the, that book's based off of marquis de Sade, or that book and then the mo- book is by marquis de Sade, which the movie you know based it somewhat off of so uh fun fun uh tangent to my weird connection to marquis de Sade. um i do i i do wholeheartedly embrace and think more horror movies need a climactic sword fight between the hero and Marquis de Sade. I, I also I also think more movies should have a scene where a character is just like instead of be like is being killed by having by being horny to death. Like that is Yeah. I'm I'm telling you, that scene with 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 the Sarah girl being whipped by Marquis de Sade, it's like really erotic like they definitely were trying to make it erotic like i'm not gonna lie that it may that that scene it's so funny they're like one of the most evil people in the world and they're like but also he's really hot and really cool for doing what he like is he evil or is he doing something that turns you on right uh yeah i mean i I definitely say that the scene uh i'll say scared wasn't how i was feeling during watching that scene um, I this just feels like I, I I just really feel like this is a movie where it's a bunch of thi- like it almost would have been benefited if there was no over like if it was like a treehouse of horror almost right. like an anthology where oh you come to the wax museum and oh different things happen to different people and they all get trapped in history in some way right and there's no thing about it being like a definitively real thing with a plot it's more just like what if they just got trapped in specific times and didn't know what was going on? Right. Uh, I will say, apparently in the original script, there were three uh, different... Three of the the evil characters were different but had to be changed for legal reasons, obviously, as you'll realize. Uh, apparently they were um, Jason from Friday the 13th. Okay. Uh, um... f- five children, like five of the children from Village of the Damned, and also, it just says the thing. I don't know in what form, but like the thing from John Carpenter. It specifically <laughs> says a 1982 version. So like, just, I don't know. It's just well, he didn't become the thing, but it's just uh, what's his name? Uh, Wilford Brimley. Uh, yeah, it's just Wilford Brimley. Like yeah. not any, just that would be Wilford good. Brimley just showing up. 
And then apparently, according to people who were on set, the scene where the one girl runs into the room where the guy is being kept alive by the vampires, apparently when they shot it, the crew said it was, quote, the bloodiest thing ever put to screen. But uh, apparently it was then cut, like, almost completely uh, the gore in that scene or cut by the MPAA. So I'm curious to know what was uh, like that before. And then the biggest thing I wanted to bring up was um, apparently... Uh, with the end fight, uh, and, and the director was even warned, apparently his, I guess his father maybe was involved with the film business in some regard because his father had told him, um, like, uh, never, uh, never wait to shoot the end of your film. But, uh, apparently he didn't heed his dad's advice and did so. And actually it was an issue because they ran out of money. And so apparently originally the end was supposed to be like a time hopping kind of like fight through all these different settings and periods, but they ran out of money. So in the end they were quote, as they quote, so we had to do a pub fight. And that's why we have this scene where it's just like bodies flailing against each other in the waxwork. It's because they ran out of money apparently. Um, I also want to point out, because I thought about this earlier, for a movie about wax, one of the most easily flammable objects in in the world, there there's only a fire at the end, and it's not really because of the wax. Right. And yeah. I think that's really weird. Like, he Should drops it... his lighter on wax, and it just does nothing. That's so weird to me that, like, they'd imply something might happen there, and it just doesn't. Yeah, that's a fair point. We never see, like, a melting person, and I feel like that's a missed opportunity. What if, like, instead of the characters coming to, like, what if they came to life, but they were still made of Yeah, I, I would have liked to see more melting faces and stuff. Apparently, I... also, funnily enough, talking about how woke this movie is, apparently uh, they were actually non-union, and because of such, the Teamsters occasionally heckled the production by shining mirrors in the actors' faces as a form <laughs> of protest. Awesome. That's awesome. I, I, I also, I love the fact that you're like, oh yeah, there were three characters they had to cut because of legal reasons. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, there were more real people in the movie. They just couldn't, th- their legacies the, were tied up in the, something. The Hitler... No, they're just other movie characters. Yeah, no. Uh, the Hitler family filed a, a defamation suit. <laughs> um, apparently, I did, uh, I, I wanted to bring up, again, I, I still don't understand if this movie was trying to have a theme and, like, they kind of lost it in production or what. But, like, they had that whole weird part at the beginning about, like, a uh, class divide or something. And then, like, it, it never really uh, – the only way it comes back Does is – Does his mother even show up at No, that's the – his mother's only seen in that one scene. And the only kind of connection to that thread is, like, oh, the butler shows up and he's one of, like, the guys helping fight. Which, like, I guess that's How sort of – a bet that they shot that first thing early on and they went oh shit we gotta bring back the butler don't we yeah it's like they forgot about that plot thread um so yeah that's wax work uh you know i'll say it's it's not a perfect movie it's plenty flawed plenty of missed opportunity uh for budget or just you know creative reasons but i will say it's uh pretty wacky pretty crazy end it has a sword fight with marquis de sade that's really all you need to say sword fight with marquis de sade out of 10 yeah and if you're a horror fan i mean you know you got it's a real monster mash you know they throw in all your favorite monsters you know you got 
the Wolfman, Vampire, and Frankenstein monster, zombies. I mean, you got it all. I mean, it's not, it's misleading for how they call it historical figures, but, uh, you know, on, uh, if you're just going off of famous horror villains and, 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 and monsters, they get them all in there. So uh, if you're a fan of stuff like Monster Squad uh, or that kind of a similar theme, uh, you'd probably enjoy this. It's a nice little 80s romp of a time. Uh, so, yeah, you know, if that's your kind of thing, you want a fun movie to throw on, and for this end of week of Halloween, uh, you could go you, there. You could go more wrong than waxwork. So uh, I'll say that much. Absolutely. That's pretty much all I had to talk about today. Uh, Emily, any any further final closing closing thoughts? Uh, don't get into a sword fight with Marquis de Sade. Right. Uh, of course. Good advice. To follow for whoever you are. And if uh, a random man invites you to his waxwork, uh, don't go. <laughs> don't go, but not because it's going to be evil, but because a random weird man invited you to a wax museum, and that sounds like a terrible time. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's our episode for today. Happy Halloween, everybody. Uh, again, check out some of those movies we talked about earlier, as well as Waxwork if you're so inclined and you want something to watch. Uh, uh, Emily, thank you again for joining us on today's absolutely. episode. I, uh, if anyone wants to find me, I'm at Adequate Emily, all one word, on Twitter and on YouTube. And if you enjoy both of those things and you want to give me money, uh, same thing on Patreon. So, yes, I all encourage you to check out Emily's stuff, especially that most recent video on Head and the Monkeys. Very entertaining and informative uh, Thank you. video. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's today's episode, um, and that's Waxwork. Uh, I'll leave you with this. Um, what about... Uh, what about instead of waxwork uh, being about this, it's about a um, a lady goes to to get a to get her her pubic hair waxed, um, but the it's it's an evil. Oh no! How about this? It's an evil uh, wax like I don't know what you'd call the, a wax person who waxes people's hair, and they're like evil, and it's like oh, it's like Susie came in for a bikini wax. But what she left with was uh, a skin wax, and like they they use so much wax, and they're so strong that they like rip people's skin off, and they're evil. Peyton, I think you have the next million dollar idea. Well, send it to the presses. Waxwork reboot that's only in name only connected to this one, coming twenty twenty two Halloween. Look out for it. And we'll see you next time. Ooh. The zombies were having fun. The party had just begun. The guests included Wolfman, Dracula, and his son. The scene was rocking, all were digging the sounds. Igor on chains, backed by his baying hounds. The coffin bangers were about to arrive with their vocal group, the Crypt Kicker Five. They made the match. 
They played the Monster Mash. The Monster Mash. It was a graveyard smash. They played the Mash. It got on in a flash. They played the Mash. They played the Monster Mash. Out from his coffin, Rex's voice did ring. Seemed he was troubled by just one thing. Opened the lid and shook his fist and said, Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. The monster mash. And it's a graveyard smash.